about three or four years ago, I was starting to train for um, this pretty intense six-mile run. And so in the midst of training, even on vacation, if you've ever kind of been training for a run, you realize that vacation doesn't mean you get to take a break from training. And so we were um, vacationing with my wife's family, kind of this extended deal, and uh, it happened to be around the lake, and the lake had this three-mile loop that was just beautiful. It was in the mountains. It was perfect for running, and I was like, okay, this will be good. I can go run, have this picturesque day, and so as I'm walking down to start uh, my run, I kind of this path kind of converges with another guy, and he looks at me, and we're both obvi obviously dressed to run, and he says, hey, you want to run? And of course, as a man, I hear would you like to challenge me? And I said, of course, I'd like to race you. I mean, run with you. And uh, so we, we kind of line up and, you know, we we're like about to start our deal and both put on our headphones and I run with audiobooks, which probably says a lot about me, and, but I run with it at three times the normal speed. So that's kind of like fast music. And, and so he puts on his headphone and hits play. And all of a sudden, I hear loud screaming German music that's really, really fast. And I, that should have been my first clue. This is about to be bad. And he's like, you ready? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm ready with my Jim Collins three times the normal speed. And we take off. And I say take off because he starts sprinting. And I'm like, oh, no. And so I start sprinting. And about the time that I finally catch up to him, I'm like, I got this. And about the time my lungs say, you don't have this. And, and this guy is like going faster and faster. And it's like the angry music is getting louder and louder. And Jim Collins, it's like in order to build a successful business, you must make sure that you have done. And I'm like, this is not helping me, Jim Collins. And I am running faster and faster. And my lungs are screaming at me. And about that time, I start doing the math and say, this loop is three miles and I've made it a hundred feet. And I don't think I'm going to make it the entire three miles. So I either need to fake an injury, fake a phone call, or somehow figure out how to get out of this thing. Because I can't beat this guy. But there was no way I was just going to quit. Like, there had to be a reason I quit. And so I'm still pushing it, and I'm, like, running, and my brain's like, you can't do this for much longer. And I see that I'm getting close to a mile, and I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. He doesn't know how long I've been running. He doesn't know that I'm not going to do the full lap. I can just be like, oh, one mile, I'm good. You know, got my workout in, all like, yeah. And so we get around this, this mile, and I just kind of tap him and say, hey, I'm good. I don't see you. I got my mile. Bye. And he's like, whoom. He's gone. Well, in the midst of the run, what had been funny is I'd even run by my brother-in-law and waved at him, and I noticed that he didn't wave back. And, and so now I'm like on the ground because he's around the corner, and so he doesn't have to see me about to pass out on the, the sidewalk, and I'm like trying to catch my breath. I can barely breathe. My heart's pumping. I've just run close to a six-minute mile, which I have never in my life and will never in my life run a six-minute mile again. But this guy, that's normal for him, and I'm about to die, and I'm trying to catch my breath. And what I would love to say is that that moment in life was rare, but if I were to step out of the running arena and maybe step into my schedule or we were to step in your finances or into the margin in your relationships, I'd say that many of us can relate to that six-minute mile run that day that I had. That we all intuitively get, whether or not we've ever sat down to actually think about it, that when the breathing room in our lungs or in our life decreases, the stress and anxiety in our life increases, right? That when margin decreases, the stress of life increases. 
And it, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in our relationships, with our spouse, our kids, with family members, cousins, coworkers, that when our margin decreases, our stress and anxiety increases. And that in the midst of it, that you and I have this sense, this nagging sense, I can't do this forever. And we, we tell ourselves, if I can just make it to that next corner, if I can just make it to that next block. But in the end, we, we live this chronic, repetitive, fast-paced life with an ever-decreasing margin and breathing room. We discover from an early age that our kids' schedules continually get busier. That our schedules keep getting busier with every promotion, with every job assignment, there comes new tasks, new people to oversee, new places to travel, new presentations to do. And that our finances, that just even two weeks ago, it was uh, this really fascinating financial study that the average, that about half of middle class America doesn't have $400 in their savings. There's not even a margin that essentially two flat tires could derail most middle class families in America. Because there's just no margin. And that's a stressful way to live, isn't it? Where you're not sure where the next dollar is going to come from or how you're going to squeeze those two meetings into that same time frame. Or how, how am I going to make sure that the most important things, the vows that you made to that person and the kids that are in your life, that they don't pay the price for your frantic pace. But I think deep down inside, we all have a sense that there, there has to be something else and we find it maybe in, in that temptation I felt that day running to want to just check out and quit. But pride keeps us pressing and pushing. You just feel it on the inside and, and there's this internal voice that's just saying, there must be a better way. And what this month of May series about is that better way. That we've been living our lives with a pace that's ever increasing I mean, do you remember when you could walk away from a telephone call and you could get into a car and no one could get in touch with you? Do you remember what it was like to have email that wasn't constantly waiting on you? It's like if, I, if, you, if you weren't at your computer that was probably the size of a mobile home, right? If you weren't there in front of it, there was no expectation that you could respond instantaneously. That there wasn't this internal, almost invisible pressure from your boss or coworkers that that 9 p.m. email should have been returned before you got in the next day. And yet, in the midst of all of this, there's this voice saying, there's a better way. There has to be a better way. And so how do we find margin and breathing room? How do we reclaim this space? Because if we want to do it, I think we have to start to do things different. So here's the thing. If we want to create space for breathing room, it begins by us evaluating our pace in life. And, and it, that sounds very simple, but it's not an application. That, that to create space, we have to start with our pace, period. And that there are going to be four more weeks to this series, and I, I'm convinced that every single week is going to be super helpful in all the different arenas. But before we can even jump into these really practical, kind of just processing moments, we have to start with our pace if we're going to find space for breathing room. And that to do it, I want to look at six verses from probably one of the most famous passages 
even if you didn't grow up in church like I didn't, uh, you probably are aware of this, these six verses because they're famous. They're, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's, it's a passage that you've seen written on postcards that you send to that really religious person in your family, mem- that family member that you're like, oh, they're really religious, they'll like this card. Right? It's that token six verses that makes, oh, it, it feels good. What's it about? I'm not sure, but it feels good. It's, it's these really, but I, I think if we're willing to step into this passage and these six verses today, I think what we'll find, looking at it from maybe a different way than you've ever read it, that you'll actually find that there is a way to evaluate our pace that can begin to help create space for breathing room in our life. So if you have the Encounter Church app, um, if you want to go ahead and fire it and click on sermon notes, it'll already be there for you. Um, the Bible's also there. Um, I'll also have it on the screen behind me as well. And uh, so Psalm 23, a Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I just want to stop there. Right? I'm reading a version that if you're clicking on the sermon notes, it's a little different. And I want you to hear it, that throughout the different ways of translating this Hebrew, that there's these really poetic statements about peace and like rest. That in the sermon app, uh, the sermon notes section, it says that he restores my soul. He refreshes me. That whether you read it in this version or the NIV that that we typically read from, what you find is that there is this consistent, life-giving picture that David is sitting there writing down as a shepherd. That David is an interesting guy. He writes this probably in his late teens, early 20s. And David's a shepherd. Which is why David sits there that day on kind of leaning his back up against the tree, watching over his sheep, and he's just sitting there and he's processing, and he starts to write these words. And the thing about Psalms to understand is that Psalms, uh, Psalm as a book was, uh, was a collection of songs. It would have been the Jewish um, faith's like hymnal or song, spiritual songbook. Um, and, and Psalm 23 would have been like the top, like top 10 like all-time hits, right? You know, at the end of every year and at the end of every decade, they always do like top 100 hits of years 2000s, right? This would have been like the top one of the 2,000 years of Jewish history. Like this would have been the one that was above all of them. And David writes this psalm out of this very intimate awareness of him being a shepherd. He's like, I'm a shepherd. And you know what? The way God treats me is like a shepherd. It's deeply intimate. This psalm and, and the way it's stated and, and the very example in which it's written, I think gives us a picture of how to evaluate our pace. That if you notice throughout this psalm, there is a pace of life. He ends with verse 6 where he, he, he refers that, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That there's this idea that It's not just this one day where he's talking about the green pastures. It's every day for the rest of his life. That when you read it, you kind of pick up that there is a pace to it. And and, and if we're going to evaluate our pace, it starts by checking your pace. We have to check the pace that we're running in life. That you see green pastures. You see still waters. 
you see right paths. You see the valley of the shadow. You see the good, you see the bad, but there's just this rhythm to it that seems to be just flowing. And David, as a shepherd, says, you're, you're like that shepherd that I am, and you, you lead your sheep. You, you walk with them. And it's not just one day. It's every day. Um, our family, like many of yours, probably um, in the month of April, we're traveling to, to go get away a little bit. And uh, so we were going to go fly and spend time with some family. And uh, so, I, you know, kind of do all the math. And so it's rush hour. We're probably going to be better to get to Logan if we take uh, the commuter rail. And so kind of mapped out our schedule. We'd pack the night before. So we wake up and everything's like kind of peaceful. It feels really good. We're like, man, this is awesome. I like not being rushed. And we get in the car, we get loaded up. And I'm like, okay, time's a little tighter than I anticipated it being. And I'm like, okay, instead of driving to Reedville, let's just drive to Endicott and park there and get a friend to pick up our car. And, and so I'm driving down the road and we live like a mile, mile and a half max from um, Endicott uh, commuter rail station. And we're, we're kind of rolling along. And I, I checked the clock just a few minutes before, and I was like, oh, man, we got like seven, eight minutes. We're good. The, this is a minute ride max. And as I'm getting closer to the Endicott, I happen to glance over and look at the clock, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, we have two minutes. And so in, 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 the spa, in like the half a second that my brain computed, I had two minutes. I like had this transformation, okay? First, I go flying into the road. I, I'm like, grab everything. We got two minutes. All right, I, I, I'm so, like, frantic and anxious all of a sudden. I'm, I'm, like, pulling the Austin Power moves with the golf. You know what I'm talking about? Where he's like, er, 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 er. I can't even park the car. I'm like, too, too tight, back up, try another one. Nope, can't, too tight, back up, try another one. And I'm, like, sitting there, and it's like, you've just killed 20 seconds parking the car. It's like, now we have a minute and 40 seconds. And we've got to get the car seat out, and we've got to get our four-year-old out. And we've got two 50-pound bags, and we're like, we've got our backpacks. And I'm, I look at my wife, and I'm like, grab everything and run. All right, and she grabs Ella, and she grabs, and Ella's like, carry me. We're like, no, you run, little girl. And so they take off running. And I'm grabbing the luggage, and I'm trying to rip the car seat out of the back seat, and there's a cell phone, and I'm grabbing it, and I'm just grabbing everything and trying to make sure I remember where I park our car. And about the time I hear, ding, 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 and I'm like, run! Because we've got to get across the track and on the train because in all the margin I left, I had no margin. If we miss this train, we, don't make to, we just don't make it to Logan. We miss our plane. And then we're sitting at the airport all day with a four-year-old trying to figure out where in the world, what do we do? So run. So we start running. We, we make it up. And Ella's legs are I mean, they're, they're working. And we get up to this thing. And I'm sweating. This, like, the entire hour of our morning has been completely lost to this frantic anxious pace and we turn the corner and the little ticker ticks across and it's like the next train to Boston is in four minutes and Jenny looks at me and she's like Chris we've got four minutes to the train comes I'm like babe the clock said we had two minutes when I turned into this road and she said my clock I'm like yes the car clock said we had two minutes She's like, oh, I said that fast, so I'm never late. I'm like, you didn't tell me that. Like, I didn't know. You see, what happens with pace is that where David's reflecting a pace that produces peace, I was reflecting a pace that was producing panic, pain, and anxiety. See, David talks about 
green pastures and still waters. And even when he walks through the valley of that shadow of death, in some ways it's translated, he says, I will fear no evil. I'm like, when I pull up to the train station, I will sweat profusely. It's like my verse. Because I'm so panicky. And the way we check our pace is we ask the simple question, what is your pace producing? What do you see in your life right now? Do you see peace? Or do you see pain? Do you see this purpose, this like overall big picture of life? Or are you just kind of living with this constant panic that you're going to miss something? Or that you're not going to hit this deadline? That the pace that David's talking about is meant to produce peace. And yet, many of us live with the exact opposite of peace. What happens when you live with a pace that long and there's pain and there's panic, what happens is we, we start to try to self-medicate. We start to try to self-correct, but typically our self-corrections tend to make things worse. That maybe some of you can relate to. You're in this constant stream and you feel trapped by it. And so you, you kind of withdraw and you become passive you give everything you got, and then when you come home, you just want to collapse. Escape in social media. And it's not because you're, you're, you're looking for something specific. You're just mindlessly kind of rolling through. You're trying to find a place of escape because you're so spent and exhausted that some of us just want to pull away. Like, I, I'm an introvert by nature, and if you ever talk to me, you probably pick up on that. Like, I have people say, you're so comfortable on stage, but when I talk to you, you're like awkward. I'm like, yes, that's me. <laughs> My name's Chris. It's nice to meet you. Um, I, I would rather speak to a thousand people on stage than, like, I'm more comfortable on the stage than I am kind of just sitting down with a group of small, a small group of people. I don't know why. It's just me. It's how I'm wired. It's just this awkward thing about me. But because I'm an introvert, um, when I'm around a lot of people, when I have like these times, or whether I'm like in a conference or maybe even like speaking in a conference or engaging with people, um, and there's these constant small talks all day, I just want to like go find a cave and hide myself. Am I the only weird one like that? Right? And, and my tendency is I want to isolate myself. I want to pull back because I just can't imagine like giving anything else. That some of us fall into that trap of overeating, overdrinking, overmedicating, because we're just looking for escape. Or maybe this is another struggle of mine is when I get frantically busier and my life and my pace picks up, I have this tendency to want to double down. I'll work harder. I'm like, I'm going to get us out of this. I'm going to dig us out of this hole. And I'll, and I'll tell Jenny that. I'm like, oh, it, it'll get better next week. I'm just going to push really hard through the next four days. And then it'll get better. And she smiles because she says, no, your hole's just going to be deeper. And then you're going to tell me when you hit that new rock, oh, I'll just keep digging. And I'll, get a little, I'll, I'll get us out of this hole next week. And then she smiles because just the hole gets deeper. That my tendency is to want to double down on it and push harder and work harder. And I start suffering health-wise because I'm not sleeping as much. not taking care of myself. And it's this, this, this trap, this cycle of living with this frantic pace, trying to escape and, 
And everything we do just makes it worse. And next week, I'm really excited. Next week, we're literally going to spend the entire Sunday just processing how do we break out of that trap? How do we find things that refresh us, not just continually pull things out of us? Because escapism does not work. And the reason you know it doesn't work is when you finish scrolling through your Facebook feeds or the Instagrams mindlessly for 30 minutes, you don't feel any better at the end. You're just still tired. And then what happens? You look at the clock and you're like, I just wasted 30 minutes doing that. I needed to cook or I needed to email or I needed to make this phone call or I should have been playing with my child. And you just you, you kind of start to beat yourself up. I and mean, you say, what's wrong with me? Why can't everyone else? Everyone else seems to have it together. What's, what's broken about me? And you start to kind of this self-defeating talk that happens on the inside. Yet when we look at what Psalm 23 lays out for us as a pattern of a pace, it lays out a pattern that produces peace. And so when we check it and we see that we're not getting peace, then we, I think we have to take a step back and say, What's, what do we do? And I think it's having this realistic conversation about changing your pace. To say, okay, maybe there's something about my pace that needs to shift. You see, David uses this very interesting analogy. He, he refers to God as his shepherd. Now, I know that most of us don't spend time reading about ancient shepherding cultures. I, I do. And um, what's unique about shepherds of the day versus like a hired workers is that hired workers would drive the sheep because they needed to get the sheep from point A to B to get paid. And so you do whatever you do to get this sheep group, this flock from here to there so you can make your money. But a shepherd was different. A shepherd wasn't defined by how he drove the sheep. A shepherd was defined by the way he led the sheep or the shepherdess, how she would guide the sheep. You see, the shepherd or the shepherdess saw the realization. They knew that their livelihood was tied up with the sheep. There was a care. There was a love that motivated. It's the, it's the same difference when you get into a rental car. You're not as concerned about the rental car as you are your car. Right? You're more inclined to see how fast it can go as you come onto the interstate. And you're a little less bothered by RPMs and dings and dents because we tend to treat rental cars differently than our own car, and we do the same thing. That's what he's saying. He's like the hiring drive where the shepherd leads. And the shepherd recognized, and the reason it matters is that sheep were notoriously um, known for their wandering. The sheep would kind of get distracted. They're, they're like an eight-year-old boy with uh, like a ton of screens in the room. And, and I, it's just like ADD madness. It's like squirrel, and they're over here. And like sheep are the same way. They're just, whoop, oh, oh, that looks good, whoop, and they just wander. And that sheep may see water, and they may walk up to it. And the reason it says still waters and not like um, the other water um, is that running water was dangerous for a sheep because a sheep would bend down to drink it. And with their little fluffy hair, it'd start to soak in water, and they'd get top-heavy, and they'd fall in. A good shepherd would actually literally create still waters, which was they would put rocks along the running river so that the water would kind of rush into this little, like, nice area and pool and still out. And the sheep would drink it without having to feel like they'd be sucked into the torrent. And that David says, God, you're like that, that you're intentional, that you're my pace setter. Because that's what a shepherd did. He set the pace of the flock. He didn't drive them. He led them. 
He gave them gifts like green pastures, a place to pause and rest, to be refreshed. You see, even in the very opening of the Jewish Old Testament or the Christian Bible that we call the book of Genesis, you see this very interesting um, picture of God's creation. And then on the seventh day, it says that God rested. It wasn't because God was tired. It was because God was modeling something for us that we were not made to be 24-7. We were made to have a pause in life. We were made for space. We weren't created to live with a constant drive and living without limits, pressed max. God's reminder to me this way isn't just in Psalm 23. I think God knows my tendency is to want to live at like, let's press it all the way to the max. So what God did that was very gracious to me is that he gave me two women who live at a completely different pace than I do. I'll be honest, I love the thrill of getting a lot done in a very short amount of time. I would, I'd be drawn to like the nonstop, frantic, busy, constant, on the move, making deals, never stopping, boom, boom, boom. I love it. I would be addicted to it if I wasn't aware of the way it made me feel. It feels good to get things done, people to look at you and say, man, there's someone who makes it happen, right? You want to be that person. And yet I'm surrounded by two women whose pace of life, not not them as an individual, but their pace and how they roll through life is so much slower than me. My wife and my daughter literally stop and smell the roses. I'm allergic to roses, so I walk faster. <laughs> like, I ain't slowing down for them things. And I will literally feel my hand being tugged back because they're like, oh, there's roses. And every time Ella and I um, kind of just to give mom a break and we just have our own little time to process life and hang out, um, one of the most powerful things she does for me as, as just a human, honestly, is she'll grab my hand when we're walking. And what happens when she grabs my hand, because I'm, I'm her father, because I'm her parent and I love her, I adjust my pace and I walk slower. And I find that as I start to walk slower, I start to kind of like calm down a little bit. And I notice we talk more. It's really hard for a four-year-old to talk when she's trying to constantly catch her breath because her dad's walking at the breakneck pace of what he calls normal. That's why even in relationships, relationships don't thrive without margin. You need space. You need that place where you can have talk. How was your day? And it go beyond just good. Okay. The only way you get to deeper than good or okay is space. And that the shepherd's voice David says, you know, you're like, you're my shepherd. You set the pace for my life. And that the gift of Paul's that, that's even interwoven into the Jewish and Christian thought of this idea called the Sabbath, which was really just God saying, hey, I want to give you a rest. I know that your proclivity is going to push yourself to extremes. And I want to remind you weekly by just telling you to slow down. To kind of like let your engines rev down just a little bit. I think the question 
that comes out of that for, for you and I is can you sustain the pace that you're living for the next five years? Can you do what you're doing? Can you keep pressing the way you're pressing for the next five years? And your relationships still be healthy? Can you keep spending the way you're spending for the next five years? And be in a place where financially, as a family or as an individual, where you, you have margin? Physically, can you keep treating your body the way you're treating it, with the pace that you're doing to it in the next five years and be just as healthy or healthier? I think this is what happens when we slow down and we listen to the voices that when we adjust our pace to this rhythm that slows us down, what happens is that we start to check our pace. We start to evaluate what it's producing in our life. And some of these really fundamental questions start to rise up in us. And it, wait a second, can I do this for the next five years? Because if you don't have the space to answer that question, you're going to neglect it. And you're going to hit a wall. And you're going to live with this anger and resentment and frustration because nothing in your life is going the way it should. And it's because nowhere in your life do you have the margin to even do life well. Can you, can you keep doing what you're doing? Can you live with it? For the next five years. Or even another way, is there right now space in your current pace? Can you point to any space, financially, relationally, health-wise, your schedule? Is there any space right now? Because you've got to start somewhere. And we have to start in a place where there's already some space in order to start to find margin in life. And I think to get really personal, let me just press in a little bit. So David references that there's this shepherd, right? That I'm listening to my shepherd's voice. It's the one that's guiding me to the green pastures and to the still waters. And he says, even through the valley of the shadow of death, and he says, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. This idea that this shepherd is present. He's speaking. He is leading. And he says, God, that's the way you are to me. That's the way I am to my sheep. And I think we all naturally are living our life in the response to voice or voices. And what are the voices behind your choices you're making right now financially? Is it because I want to have this kind of house, I want to have this type of lifestyle because then people will say I'm successful? Or then my father or my mother will respect me? Or then I'll feel successful, or I'll feel significant. Like, what are the voices behind the choices you're making that are leading to the pace in which you're living your life? And I think it, what the pause what, of stepping back and having a space to evaluate those voices that are helping inform those choices is you start to realize, you know what, I'm doing a lot of things because I care more about what people think about me than I do about my own health. Or my own family. I'm telling you, do you care more about becoming a partner in your business than keeping your partner for the rest of your life? Like that's where it gets really, really clear when you step back and you start evaluating the voices behind your choices. Because it doesn't matter when your name is written on the side of a building 
if there's no one there to celebrate it with you at the end of the day. And people who get paid to be there don't give the same type of celebration as those who are doing life with you. And that before we get practical next week and the weeks that follow, we have to take a step to evaluate our pace by checking our pace and then saying, okay, maybe I need to change my pace. And just in case maybe you think this is just something that I'm making up because this is what David did, I want to flip a couple hundred years later, about 11, 1,200 years later, Jesus steps onto the scene and his ministry as a 30-year-old is exploding. People are traveling from all around, multiple day journeys just to see him and to, to talk with him and to meet him because he's healing and he's transforming and he's doing this incredible thing. And yet at the very beginning of him becoming one of the most, which ultimately the greatest celebrity, the most famous one ever in human history, you see something in Mark 1, 35, 36 that I think is worth mentioning. See, in Mark 1, 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon, his companions, these people who were starting to follow Jesus, they went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. They're like, Jesus... You're famous. Everybody wants a piece of you. This is, you've arrived. And Jesus is like, you know, see, I'm not living for a pace where everyone wants a piece of me. I'm living for a pace that produces peace. And I'm intentional about taking a step back and getting my heart aligned with this spiritual pacemaker that keeps me at a rhythm that's sustainable for the next 5, 10, 15 years that I have a mission and I'm going to live my mission out successfully. And that it, it happens by creating space to evaluate our pace. And in the midst of that space, what we'll do in the next few weeks is start to come back and build. on What, ha what do you do in that space? Because I'm not, what I don't want you to hear me saying is, oh, you just need to cut three hours. If you have three hours every day, no, it's not about necessarily the quantity, although the quantity matters. It's about quality inside of that quantity. It's why one more hour of just flipping through Facebook feeds is not going to restore your soul. But one hour intentionally lived, and the way we'll process over the next four weeks, can restore your soul. It can replenish those relationships. And it can make you healthy. And so I want to invite you back. In the course of May... If you're traveling, that's fine. We'll, we'll podcast. We'll put these. But I'm convinced this goes way beyond just us as a people and our time together. This is about you and the pace of life that God intended for to produce peace in your life. So the way I even want to respond this morning is I want to create space. I know that I've probably offended some of you, and it's because I love you. And remember, I'm an introvert. I'm okay with offending people. But we need people who will speak into our lives and say things like, is there space in your pace? And so we're going to create this space right now where we can ask some of those questions of our own lives, of our kids' lives, of our professional lives, of our personal lives. And it's a, it's a song called Running in Circles. 
And it's just, it's hard. It's just, you know what? I'm, I've been running in circles. I've mistaked activity for progress. Anybody ever done that? Got a lot of activity, but there's not progress. And this song is about just kind of saying to God, because it starts with us just being honest with ourselves and with him, and saying, you know what? I've been running in circles, God, in this area of my life, and I've got to stop, and I need your help. And this is where I need to find breathing room. For those who, in call, who call Encounter Church home, this is a, a space that we create to intentionally return back what God's given to us, and that we, we, we tithe. And, and I recognize that for some people, even just maybe you're, you're present and you hear that sometimes, and you're like, where do people even give money to a church. Okay, even if you're like, you got the why figured out and you're okay with that, where, where does it come from? And it comes from having margin. Where you say, I've got, I don't live exactly with what I make. And, and we do that in faith. And that's why for those who call Encounter Church Home, that's, we create this space for us to practice that discipline of living our lives, even financially, within a margin. And if you're, if you're new... While I encourage you to live financially within margin, we would ask that you not give today because this is about what God wants for you, not what we want from you. That um, if maybe there's just some really personal things going on in your life, I would encourage you to, to take advantage of this space, to use the app, to, to let us know how we can pray for you or how we can step into this journey with you. But I want to pray over us and then um, invite you to stand or maybe you just need to sit because I recognize that some of us, this hit hard today. This hit home and you're like, man... I don't know where I go from here, but I know I need to do something with it. And so you feel free to sit, stand, but just let the song be sung over you. If you want to sing it just as a reminder to yourself or even as a confession of God, I need breathing room in my life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you bring peace that you as a shepherd desire to call us into places that restore us, replenish us, give us life. You desire for us to live at a pace that produces peace in every area of our life. So use this time, use this space to encourage us, to remind us, to challenge us, to check our pace and the courage to change our pace. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.